time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, cause it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Welcome, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, uh, Tom. And last but not least, joining the roundtable this week, as she uh, does frequently, uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton joins us by phone. Hi, Bobby. Hey, good morning, guys. Hi, Bobby. Good morning. Well, I always start with um, a, uh, a couple of quotes, and, and of course, the, the first one fashioned after Flint-based comedian uh, Mark Bono's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke, We Open Armchair Politics, with Finish the Quote. And uh, here it is. All the president is, is a glorified public relations man who spends his time flattering, kissing, and kicking people to get them to what? To, to move in his direction. Do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> that's, Agree with him? <laughs> that's, uh, those are all good answers, but Paul's is the closest to the, uh, the actual quote, which is, All the president... All the president is, is a glorified public relations man who spends his time flattering, kissing, and kicking people to get them to do what they are supposed to do anyway. 
who said that? Harry Truman. Oh, okay. I, I, I know I've heard it somewhere. Yeah. Yep. Harry, Harry Truman said that. But the quote of the week is, uh, the jury ultimately convicted Stone of obstruction of a congressional investigation, five counts of making false statements to Congress, and tampering with a witness. Because his sentence has been commuted, he will not go to prison, but his conviction stands. Uh, is that Mueller? That was Mueller. Former special counsel Robert Mueller, in a very rare move, has written an op-ed for the Washington Post defending his office's prosecution of Roger Stone and saying he is still a convicted felon, and rightly so, in light of President Donald Trump's commentation <laughs> of Stone. Um, does the voting public consider making false statements to Congress and witness tampering criminal anymore? Mm. It doesn't appear to be. That's a good question. Yeah, it's. Uh, in, in other words, are crimes against the government still crimes? Yeah, I, no, I, that's that's a good question. I, I don't really know that that has the same weight as so many other crimes might. Yeah, but there are far-reaching consequences for that. That's true. Henry, uh, yeah. uh, a uh, nation cannot stand without trust between institutions well, and between people. Yeah, that and uh, we are a nation of laws. Wasn't that one of the original intentions? And when you have... Hello? Hello? Did I lose everybody? Well, we'll have to uh, figure out what happened here. Well, we're going to have to get uh, reconnected with the group here. Wait a minute. That's not right. Let's X that out. And Sorry about all this inside baseball, folks. This usually works pretty smooth. I have to uh, see if I can get a hold of people again. Uh, okay. In the meantime, you're listening to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, let's try this again. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to uh, dial everybody back. Well, that's not working. Looks like, uh, oh, Tom. yeah, I, I, I had not heard Tom. I heard Are you there? Odd beep. Okay, there oh, there he is. is. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you. Well, apparently what happened is my part of the call dropped. And when that uh-huh. well, we had a good conversation while you were gone. <laughs> well, well, we good. talked about you behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, you wouldn't be the first. (laughs) Um, 
having been married a couple times, I'm I'm kind of used to people talking behind my back. Um, but uh, to um, back to the the question that we were talking about, I, you know, are crimes against the government still crimes? And and uh, Henry, I think you were saying that uh, you know we're um, consequences. Yeah, that there are wide ranging consequences to. Um, when when people don't have trust in the government and and when they they just blow these things off well that started i remember when that started i was in graduate school studying to be a you know public administrator city manager kind of person and it was it was beginning to be when ronald reagan was saying that the government is the problem oh yeah and yeah, and when you started making government employment be something that was not honorable, but something to be looked down upon, sort of like teaching has become, then yeah. um, it it takes that the the whole trust in government away. No, I I think Bobby, you're right. In fact, if you take a look somewhere, I saw a poll that back in the this bus mid mid 1960s. I mean, again, there's a lot going on, civil rights, Vietnam, and all that, but still something like 70-some percent of the people trusted the, the the federal government to do the right thing most of the time. The, there was a recent poll that that number has dropped to about 20%, and that's been kind of a long-term trend for the last half century, is that yeah. the overall trust in government has declined dramatically, and on all levels, not just the federal, but I, I mentioned the federal as my main example, but the same thing is true on the, on the local level here. Take a look at what's the water crisis and what's happened to trust there in the last uh, last five years. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's it's really society wide. It is, and don't you remember there was a there was a a survey that was administered frequently that had the same questions, and one of them was about trusting the government. That's yeah. probably the one you're talking about. Yeah, that, that that's that's one I've seen reference to, and, and as I said, the, the decline is dramatic. And you've seen diminished, um, ugly practices in institutions education and medicine and all of those areas because the trust in government has diminished. And uh, when that happens, we kind of point toward anarchy. Well, yeah, I remember uh, Ronald Reagan saying, uh, you know, don't count on the government to solve your problems. Government is the problem. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was saying about and to some degree, I think that explains the election of Trump in a lot of ways. You know, when he says, you know, what have you got to lose? All this talk about the deep state and so forth, that feeds into that whole atmosphere that's been around for a long time. It's not just Trump doing it, but he's he's fed off that. And I think that to some degree explains uh, his, his election in 16. You know, there was a theory going around when I was in school also. Remember the pixie sticks? Uh, tragedy when uh, someone was handing out Halloween candy, those little sugar-filled straws that had um, poison or some kind of, of bad substance that, that actually harmed children. That yes. uh, there was yeah there was a theory that during that time period, because of sort of an overwhelming fear of what you couldn't control, that fear of government and fear of anything outside just sort of generated and went forward. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, I think that, that that feeds into all these conspiracy theories. I mean, you see this stuff about the coronavirus that 
oh, it's all a big plot. They want to implant uh, uh, microchips on your skin with the, with the vaccination, and it's all a fraud. I mean, that feeds into this conspiracy idea that it's all uh, a giant plot that they, whoever they are, want to control yeah. you in some way. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, the book of 1984 kind of preluded that. That's true, Henry. Yeah. It did, but I think 1984 was even not quite as bad as what we are headed towards right now. <laughs> well, you know, it was funny. Um, I, I remember that that Apple commercial in the in the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That, that said, uh, and this was back in the early 80s, and said uh, Apple computers are are why. Um, 1984 won't be like 1984 and there was a lot of talk in 1984 about wow this is nothing like you know like the book and here we are you know a few decades later and it's very much like the book right especially now during COVID-19 you know I think about that when I see all of these meetings and things being held on zoom you know that yeah. that since in 1984 there was a video screen and that's and, right that's true you know yeah, it it yeah. it really kind of mimics the uh, the day to day from I that I hadn't thought book. about that parallel but that's that's true it does it does remind you of that commercial when you do all these Zoom meetings but but I don't think Orwell had that in in mind that it would be that way Orwell thought that um, perhaps the government. Um, will take steps to undermine systems to so that a few people can control the system um, and I, I don't I, I don't think that it's playing out that way yet but it's saying, moving in that direction are you saying Henry that nobody's in control <laughs> yeah well you know um, it, it's true and you can see that government has that has yeah, a I know what you're tight uh, noose around our necks now. Yeah. Uh, it watches everything that we do. One of the things that I've always held on to uh, is the idea that we have the courts. Uh, I know that the other two parts of our government right now are struggling to maintain um, behavior that, that in, engenders trust. But when we look at the courts, um, eventually some form of justice does come out, some form of implementation of law, enforceability of our civil rights and those sorts of things does eventually come out, which I believe is why the whole focus on stacking the courts with a certain kind of judges, certain kinds of political attitudes is very dangerous to our system. And interestingly, yeah. it it doesn't work as well as it's intended. No, and that speaks Robert, and that speaks said. to the character of the judges themselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, yeah, we've we, got, we've got to take a break here, and uh, we'll come back with. I've got another quote I want to get into uh, when we return, but. Uh, 
despite some of the uh, technical glitches, you're listening to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well, and we'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Hawaiians. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine mu- music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But and while you would possibly never even consider counting how many piece- pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on on the bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for four. 
Standing on the corner Watching all the Fords go by Standing on the corner Giving all the Fords the eye Look at it go It's the Thunderbirds kissing cousin Get in a Ford Get Ford a try So don't be standing on the corner Watching all the Fords Watching all the Fords Be the guy who's going by This is Jill Stein And you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program And welcome back everybody Uh, We return now to Armchair Politics With our Roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. And as I said before the break, I'm going to go to another quote now. And it is, uh, I have a feeling a lot of the governors in the swing states, the liberal governors, are going to do whatever they can to quash events and quash rallies, given the sort of partisan manner in which Gretchen Whitmer has handled everything as it relates to Michigan, it would be little shock to me whatsoever that she would do whatever she can under the guise of coronavirus, of course. Um, was that Pence that said that? No, that was Donald Trump Jr. Oh, Trump Jr. Oh. He told, yeah. he told yeah. reporters Friday that he expects Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer to block presidential campaign events under the guise of the COVID-19 pandemic. Whitmer told the Associated Press last month she would think very seriously about trying to block the president from hosting a campaign rally in Michigan where her executive orders require masks in all public spaces and limit the size of gatherings and events. Um, who holds the trump card in this square off? <laughs> Whitmer. Yeah, Whitmer in public health. I think so, yeah. Well, politics versus public health, um, you know, which is the more important consideration. And you got to remember the separation of state, state, uh, state rules, state authority, state power. They have that prerogative that's guaranteed under the Constitution. All other states would converge on Washington should they try to change that. They would support Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah, and it would depend upon how strong the Governor's Association is in supporting all the governors in those decisions. Yeah, and like I say, given what the turnout in places like Tulsa, you wonder whether Trump's even attempts to have these rallies makes even sense for him, because those are embarrassing from for him when you've got these, these small turnouts, and then you've got the outbreak two weeks later of, uh, of an increase in the virus. <laughs> Yeah, the president would have to think this through before he uh, made any moves so yeah. that he keeps uh, the the pro-Trump states on his side and try to convince those who are wavering to transfer to his side. So this is a very meticulous move that he has to consider. Well, there's a real yeah. test coming up um, pretty soon in Florida with the... Uh, Convention, convention acceptance oh, yeah. speech and, yeah. and all of that florida is having a very very tough time now with uh covid19 and it's um those those things are on a collision course i i think and a n- number of big name republicans have decided they've got something else to do that <laughs> that week whenever the convention's scheduled uh because of yeah. the fear of the coronavirus yeah i think and, and um, guys 
it might sound as though I'm uh, just uh, a little bit on the opposite side of the president, but I'm not. I am hoping that the president will use judicious decisions based upon support from other people. I don't want to be a naysayer, but Henry, I haven't seen evidence that judicious, analytical, cautious, (laughs) thoughtful... There are different terms that I could use for the way that I see him acting, and none of that fits. Yes, but he's the president of the United States, and we we need to make sure we guide our president, steer him, encourage him, everything we can do to maintain stability in this country. I haven't seen that working know. either. But it's up to people to do it. <laughs> One person by himself cannot do it, but it has to be all of us. It's, it's our country whose livelihood or whose um, stability is at stake. Well, it's almost as if the public has to work around the president these days. <laughs> well, whatever we have to do, uh, you know, we should be doing it. Like, uh, for example, most of, most Republicans and people stand by uh, people on the fence think that a lot of this has to do with trying to undo the presidency. That's why people are steered in that direction. And some of us need to let that go. Well, here's what I think, Henry, about If you're talking about undoing the presidency, I can't see that anybody has done more to undo the presidency than Donald Trump. He has brought disgrace to the White House. He has brought a complete violation of law and ethical behavior to the White House. I don't think anybody can deny that unless they're really not paying attention. Well... Um, there are cases where the president uh, oversteps his boundaries once in a while, but that's where the American people and his critics just steer him correct. Not to destroy the American system of government at any cost, under any reason. Then that's what it looks like to the rest of the world and to a lot of Americans. They've almost given up on democracy. Well, I think the key issue is trust, as we were talking about earlier, and this yes. much of that's been eroded again. Trump, a significant factor, not the only factor, but a major factor in that. And I think whoever takes over in the future, the, the it's going to be a long-term process to rebuild that trust. And again, I'll draw a parallel with Flint. Same thing with the water crisis. You can fix the pipes, but fixing the trust is going to be a much longer process. And yes, and that's why I come back to demonstrate to you that I support whoever's in authority, whether the Democrat or Republican. The Constitution gives them that right. The American people gives them that right to serve in that position. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that person works well. But I'm going to criticize him or her when they step out of line with the expectations of the American people or the Constitution. Well, well me... Henry, where I come from is I support the U.S. Constitution. I always have and I always will. And when somebody tramples all over it and tries to shred it and and take it apart and use it for their own means, I don't care what position of leadership they're in. I will not support them. I will support the Constitution. Well, well let I me, think we're on the both both on the same page. Let me let me yeah. pause let me pause that there. Uh, so we can move on. We'll get back to uh, I'm sure we'll get back to that before uh, before we're done today. 
Uh, the Flint Community Schools Board of Education has voted to close the Flint Junior High School building, formerly Northwestern High School. The closure of the Flint Junior High School was proposed after the district learned last month the building is in need of $4 million in repairs. If the district moves to take on these repairs, the expense would drain the district's infrastructure fund, leaving nothing for all other school buildings. The district would also have to spend $1.2 million of its general fund. If a child is currently enrolled at the junior high, they will instead attend Holmes STEM Academy in the fall. Holmes STEM Academy will become Holmes STEM Middle School Academy and will be reconfigured to become a middle school for 6th to 8th graders. Brownell STEM Academy will expand from K to 2nd grade to a K to 5th grade school. Children enrolled in 3rd to 5th grade at Holmes will... Uh, instead attend Brownell. Students currently enrolled in uh, grades K through 2nd at Brownell will not be affected. How disruptive is this for parents who aren't, aren't sure if kids are going back to school in the fall and now oh, where? Exactly. It's very pure disruptive. chaos for, 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 for parents. Chaos, yes. Yeah. Well, I was and thinking this morning about the fact that uh, the whole discussion about whether the kids will go back and actually attend class in person or whether they will continue to do it online, that's made a major change in our educational system. This particular plan, as I see it, the only the only thing that school district can do in assigning kids to a different school, assigning them to a different teacher, is putting them under the jurisdiction of another class where the lessons that are that are being conducted online and the things that are expected of them online will come from a different place. The building is probably secondary under the current situation. You know, I, it was my impression that Northwestern has been closed for years. It only takes care of uh, students with uh, learning disabilities, uh, rather, that don't meet the standards for uh, uh, high schools. And so you, you it's know, a you secondary wonder alternative school. And that should have been closed a long time ago. There are no you kids know, that one, go one there. One thought I had. It, go ahead, Henry. Uh, well, the kids, they're not, uh, they are not your typical 9 through 12 academic program. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, and Flint should have closed that school a long time ago. They were draining resources for years and years and years, resources that they could have used to undergird the schools that uh, they should have deemed uh, to survive. But they right. haven't. Yeah. They're behind, and uh, and they created the, it themselves. You know, what, what I was going to say, Henry, one sidebar thought I've had with the COVID virus, I wonder, and the impact on schools, what impact will that have on the the plummeting numbers of Flint students anymore? I mean, the, the numbers have just been cratering even before the virus kicked in in recent years, and I'm sure this is going to be an enormous blow. You wonder how much is going to be left after all is said and done. Yeah. Well, when, when, when we had the money for education, excuse me, I just say that. When we had the money for education, we had tremendous dollars coming out of Lansing to support yeah. education. We had no problems with uh, uh, kids moving from one school district to the other. But the out-county schools now will accept those kids despite of their race because they're losing dollars. Or, or, uh, they used to pay because they didn't want any other kids from the inner cities. But now you know, I, they will accept those kids 
and hopefully those kids will be prepared to move into other communities with great teachers, great buildings, and great programs, great um, learning programs, so that they can perform as well, equally as well as the kids who are there. You know, my understanding I, that's what that I see. Yeah, I, 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 my, when, in terms of funding state schools, my understanding is that when we had Proposal A, what, almost 30 years ago by now, 28 years ago, um, that the state money was, was directed back, when, when it came at all, was directed for operations but not maintenance. And the idea was that put more pressure on the older districts that had these old buildings that needed a yeah. lot of maintenance. Yeah, that's true. And the newer buildings, were, at least for a while, were in better yeah. shape. Yeah. So, yeah. And then school choice opened up. But one of the things that occurred to me, we discussed it the last time I was on with you guys, was the the merging of schools so that when school districts close down, then the kids are transported to an adjacent school district. And that's happened in two or three cases in Michigan anyway. But the thing that concerns me about uh, moving the kids into these beautiful new schools, as Henry was describing them, was what happens to the kids whose families cannot take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, that's for somebody else to decide. But we are looking at what is practical, what we must do. Uh, and somebody else has to figure that out, mostly the legislature and the communities that host these kids. And that makes the kids... And usually it's, going to, it's, usually it's going to end up with new tax dollars. There ain't no way you can get into a funding that has to be renewable, reliable, and adequate. And the kids have, have to, to benefit. Every child yeah, and the kids have to benefit. What you're creating in Flint and some other areas is what they call ghetto schools, just like they did with public housing, so that when you gentrify a community, mm-hmm. then you draw away the people that would normally integrate the neighborhoods and you wind up with isolated little islands of people who are um, struggling and don't have the means. But that's the competitive nature of education, like it is for everything else. You've got to be prepared. You've got to deliver a good product. And people expect you to do that. And if you don't have the money, you've got to figure out, well, what do you do next? Do you You appeal to the governor or do you raise taxes? In terms of students leaving the Flint schools, I can offer kind of a personal example. I live in Flint here in East Court area. I was walking around the neighborhood the, uh, the other day, and there's a number of houses that had you know signs in their yard congratulating graduates, uh, kids who had graduated this past June. And what struck me was I didn't see one sign for the Flint school. There were signs for Swartz Creek, for Grand Blank, I think Goodrich, a few others around the area, <laughs> not one for Flint. And this, this is in the city of Flint itself. Uh, uh, so. You're right. Because I was in your neighborhood. I drive around. My, my granddaughter lived in your neighborhood. So. Um, you're right. And yeah. um, uh, guys, you, you're talking about less than 4,000 kids. You can, a school district cannot, as the size and area that Flint has, cannot survive uh, with uh, the kind of budget that they have to use and the deficits that they have yeah. to pay off. Yeah. They, there's something, we have to do something different. We have to merge with other school districts or we have to give up our school district and, or have other school districts put satellites into our neighborhoods. That might be a better idea. 
Well, let me let me, uh, let me move on. Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Wednesday vetoed bills that would have further delayed tax payments amid the coronavirus pandemic, citing harm to local budgets across Michigan and saying one measure related to property taxes was blatantly unconstitutional. The legislation had won overwhelming bipartisan approval in the Republican-led legislature. The Democratic governor's administration previously authorized tax deferrals, including extending the income tax filing date through today from uh, April 15th and giving smaller businesses more time to pay income taxes withheld from employees along with collected sales and use taxes. She said business-backed bills to delay sales, use, and withholding payments an additional three months and to make larger businesses eligible for similar treatment were commendable but would push many local budgets over the precipice into fiscal crisis. Is the governor on the wrong side of this and in a way creating her own brand of unfunded mandate? Hmm. You know, I heard that the governor was working with governors from other states of comparable size and interest and, you know, and so she's got to be getting some different points of view about where she's moving. And uh, if she is using uh, collective wisdom from other states, she, she may be on the right track. Well, I think the concern that governments may go bankrupt or not be able to meet their their uh, debt obligations or even their budgets is really a serious one to consider. And if if um, giving people an extra time in order to pay these taxes is going to do that, which one is the one that you need to really pay the most attention to? Can we do without police and fire departments and the kinds of services that require at the local level because there isn't enough money coming in? Don't try it. Yeah, in fact, the danger may be that, to use a current slogan, we may not defund the police, we may defund everything, because we're going to see such a decline in, especially income tax revenue, particularly with all the things going on now. It's going to be devastating for local governments. Can I just say this? Uh, A couple of days ago, I was at McDonald's on George Highway, uh, just south of Lapeer Road, and I saw this funeral pass by with a nice hearse, low cut. And there were kids in um, uh, cars with with skylights. They were standing up giving speeches and stuff like that. And I know that must have been really intimidating to a lot of people who live in the area and to people who uh, are passerby or observant. And that could be very intimidating. And this might have uh, been uh, associated with Black Lives Movement. And, and, and what a, the funeral home should, should have a talk with itself and, and make sure that that doesn't happen again because that's an ugly sight. Your person has died and they're celebrating by standing outside of hmm. open tops. And what were they talking about? Shouting. I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear it and didn't want to, but they were very vociferous and active and uh, was this perhaps the funeral of somebody who had been killed? Yeah, yes, that's yes. What I was wondering. Somebody, somebody well, generally, police. that's why you have funerals. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, people I, die, they don't get killed. <laughs> I, I, think she, I think she was referring to at the hands of the police. I was only or, kidding. Right, I was right. only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could have been killed by the police, or they could have been killed by 
another oh, gang, no, or they could have killed, killed the anybody in Flint. Or something else, yeah, yeah. No, Flint has not killed anybody. Well, let me. Well, uh, I can't understand why somebody was screaming <laughs> in outrage over somebody's death if it was just a natural occurring death, unless it came from the coronavirus, and they're they're complaining about the fact that it hasn't been managed very well. Well, I think that they, they were young people, and they were uh, they were uh, strutting their uh, dominance or right to be heard or the right to act. And without yeah, the that darn yeah. constitution again. Yeah, but I hope the funeral home does correct that. Well, Michigan, Michigan Civil Service Commission Chair Janet McClellan plans to serve the remaining two years of her term after moving to Illinois despite facing calls for her resignation. Liberal advocacy group Progress Michigan issued a news release Thursday pointing to public records that show McClellan purchased a home in Illinois on February 28th and sold her Lansing home on June 11th. Deputy State Personnel Director Matthew Fedorchik confirmed that McClellan indicated that she recently sold her home in Lansing and has relocated to Illinois to be close to her family, but plans to serve the remainder of her term, which expires at the end of 2022. There is no residency requirement for commissioners under the state constitution. Progress Michigan Executive Director Lonnie Scott said McClellan has no business making decisions on behalf of thousands of civil service employees in a state she no longer lives in. McClellan could not be reached for comment. Should there be a residency requirement for public service officials and staff? I think so. Yeah, at least I, I mean, within I, the state. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I know we've kind of blurred that with some local residency things, but I think within the state, I and I was wondering, just in terms of, of her own situation, why would she want to come running back to Michigan all the time to serve on this commission? She must have to vote. Illinois. You yeah. must, in order to vote, you got to be live in the, the residence where true. you vote. Um, and I, I, I agree with uh, Janet, uh, Ms. Walton here, about the fact that you should have some residents. Yeah, I, I think maybe that was an oversight when they first put this commission together, but that ought to be part of the requirements, I would think. Well, I yeah. wonder, is is that position a paid position? Is she hanging on to it because she receives a paycheck? Why? Probably both. I don't know. Because commissions do pay high. They pay at least 35000 because I served on a commission. So, I thought it was. I uh, thought it was a paid, and probably gets um, some kind of per diem. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think I think Mr. Scott's right, but I don't know what the legal alternatives are. Yeah, well, there aren't any, and and maybe and sometimes these things point to a flaw that right. that need to be rectified going forward, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I want to I want to try something uh, here, guys. We're we're having some difficulty with the audio. I keep hearing some scratchiness and and some pops and stuff. Yeah, and, I'm hearing a lot of scratchiness too. Actually. And I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know which line it is. So we have a break coming up, and during the break, I'm gonna just just drop this call altogether and and build the call back up from scratch. So I'll call you all back. Um, we'll we'll disconnect when we go to break and then uh, 
and and then I'll set the thing up again and uh, see if we solve the problem. Yeah, I'll thank you, Tom. I wasn't, I was, I wasn't receiving that scratchy noise. You were, all of you were perfectly heard by me. Thank you. Well, I'm not sure which line it is, but but there there is a problem, and I don't know if it's with the call that I set up here or if it's on somebody's phone line. But uh, I'll uh, we'll we'll go to break, and uh, when we come back, hopefully we'll have it resolved. Stand Hello, there. Yeah, I paid my taxes. I paid my taxes. Every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. 
the Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name was... This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program, hopefully with a little better audio quality since we've reestablished our our virtual play date. Um, Let's let's see, where did I leave off there? Um, We were talking about... uh, Oh, we were talking about residency requirements. Let's 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 move on to the next thing. Jeff Timmer used to be a uh, key Republican operative in Michigan, the state party's executive director, the smart guy who helped draw legislative and congressional districts that still make Democrats crazy. He spent three decades linked to a party fighting for abortion controls, limited government, free market policies. But he couldn't bring himself to support Donald Trump in 2016, four years after he and 75,000 other Michiganders sat on the uh, sidelines in that election. Timmer is back, though not so much as a Republican. On Twitter, he excoriates Trump and mocks him and the president's allies in the starkest of terms. As an advisor to the Lincoln Project, a group of former Republican consultants from across the U.S., who want to defeat Trump and elect Joe Biden. He is part of what has been one of the most trenchant and recognizable opposition brands in the 2020 campaign. Is growth of opposition to the president from within the Republican Party a significant challenge to the president's re-election? Yes. Yeah, yeah I would say it's the most serious challenge. I mean, I, I, yes. I've been struck by the fact that it'll be the Republicans who will will do Trump in more, even more so than the Democrats at some point. Um, that was true for Richard Nixon uh, in terms of the impeachment, and it's true for Joe McCarthy in some ways back in the 50s. That it's a, once your own party turns on you, you've kind of had it. And as I say, to some degree that's happening, although I noticed last night that uh, several of Trump's candidates did win in their, in their primary elections, so he's, he's not out of the game yet by any means. Yeah, but Sessions wasn't too um, popular in our, um, in Alabama anymore after serving for Trump, and then Trump really successfully beat him up. And right. that football coach, I guess, is quite popular. Yeah, maybe it's just the football record that, <laughs> that sold him in Alabama. I don't know. Oh, yeah, Alabama loves their football. <laughs> yeah, and, the, yeah. and, and they're, uh, they're probably going through a little football withdrawal. That, yeah, these yeah. days, it's true. <laughs> yeah. 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 Somehow voting for this guy will bring football back there, hoping. <laughs> That's right. Defeat COVID with football. At least they could, maybe he can run the old game tapes for his for his uh, campaign. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my uh, niece's husband used to play 
Alabama, and then he went on to play for the Dolphins. So, Ooh. and they live there. Yeah, they live there. They live outside Mobile. So I know. I know. I know. I know the culture. I'm sorry. Well, Republican challenger John James raised $6.4 million over three months in his campaign in Michigan for the U.S. Senate, again topping Democratic incumbent Gary Peters, who collected $5.2 million. It was the fourth straight quarter in which the businessman and Army veteran outraised the first-term senator since entering the race about a year ago. Peters reported he had more than $12 million on hand, while James did not release that figure. Uh, both candidates reported record quarterly hauls and success tapping small-dollar donors. At least 95% of their donors were for $100, or donations were for $100 or less. Is fundraising a good barometer for predicting the outcome of seemingly close races? Not in this case. No, no, I think he's out. Yeah, he's out. Yeah, I think it's a lot less. It's what they use the money for that I think that counts. That's true. Well, here's here's the thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, especially especially this time, I mean, what kind of campaign are we going to have? We're not going to have the giant rallies we had before. The money's going to go for media, probably, or some mail-out kind of things. So it's a very different kind of campaign. And, uh, you know, one line I've used an awful lot is that the, uh, in terms of money and campaigns, is that the uh, the road to the White House is, low, is is lined with the bones of millionaires. I mean, lots of folks have been able to raise money, look at candidates in the past, and they weren't successful. So, yeah, money's important. But at some point, it becomes redundant in some way. So it, you should certainly prefer to, prefer to have more than less, but it's not necessarily a, a guarantee of anything. Yeah, but there I think also dynamic. with the Citizens United um, opening up of dark money and money that comes in from unknown sources and are spent indiscriminately, uh, people have become a little less impressed by money and how it's, you know, raised. And so I think if you looked upon money as an expression of support by the general voting population, that's one thing. But to look upon money as just coming in, it it doesn't have the same cachet. No, um, I think uh, in the case where James is concerned, James is a very popular candidate. The only difference, his Achilles tendon is the black voter. The black voter is entrenched not to vote for another black, not, not when there's a Democrat person. And that has always been the way it is. And uh, even as we move toward 2050, when there will be much more emphasis on the impact of the black vote, we are not seeing that begin to, to emerge. And James' campaign shows that racism is a secondary thing. It's, it's not as bad as people pointed out to be because white people don't generally categorically dislike blacks. They enjoy intelligent black Americans, successful, energetic, hard-nosed, stick-to-the-rules type of individual that they can believe in and that they can trust. And I've seen that, even in my case. I was in the home of the skinheads, 
and the Ku Klux Klan, and they won all of my races, all of them by uh, a larger margin than anybody else, except one, and that was the first one. So if you take a look at James, you take a look at Barack Obama, you can see that racism is not the problem that is pointed out to be, but the manufactured problem. We're but, getting better. But, but another but another question is raised by running a campaign during a pandemic, and and that yeah. is, are, are the campaigns going to be fought on television? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a media campaign or, or maybe a so-called front porch campaign of some kind. But as I say, the idea of the old-style rallies and door-to-door kind of things, I suspect, is going to be either absent or extremely limited in this, this upcoming fall campaign. Can, can, I can social, social media. I was going to say, can social media replace door-to-door? Ah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it might. I think it, it depends might. upon how it's used. I think um, I have joined several groups that are politically uh, sending messages, and it's almost like um, little coffee clutches or people getting together in their homes and sharing opinions and ideas. So... In a way, it has taken the place of that social action. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still hearing those little glitches in the audio, and I'm not sure what to do about it. Um, it, it I was going to say, Tom, if it was mine, perhaps um, if I participated with my cell phone instead of my why do, phone? Why don't we try that? I'm pretty sure it wasn't the We earrings. tried that last time. That worked. Yeah, my cell phone might have better... Can, can can you can you uh, just disconnect and uh, and call us back from that line? Yeah, um, I'll, I think I'll call you on the the one I usually call you on. Is that the one? Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. All right, thanks. Uh, may I say this? Yeah. Yeah, please. Yeah. Well, you know, I each time you guys hear me talk about this, but this is stuff that I thought about and I experience, and so do other people, and it's gaining ground. It's gaining a lot of momentum, even with white. We should be talking about what steps we should be taking in this country to mitigate this cause of racism. We know that the American people is doing what they need to do, and we know that businesses are doing what they need to do. If you look on TV, and look at the programs and, and the thrust of the programs, the directions, and so on and so forth, you will, you could, if you were a foreigner, think that black Americans were running the United States if Donald Trump doesn't say anything. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. It's a, it's a great, and you guys should see it. If I see it, I know that the people in Kyle has to see it. I'll, I'll agree up to a point, Henry. I, I think that to some degree, corporate America and the media and some of this are almost ahead of the government, on, at least on, the, on their public actions. Now, I'm not so sure about some of the things behind the scenes and, and all of that, but I think there are things non-governmental that are almost more progressive than what the government's been doing lately in some of those areas. Yeah, but, but you'll know, uh, none of the achievements by black Americans or other Americans uh, of any kind, uh, women and so on and so forth, was done by public legislation. It was done by the mood of the American people yeah. on, in, in their uh, institutions, causing things to happen. We didn't legislate this stuff. But and you do need legislation to move that. some things along. I mean, things like voting rights, yeah. 
housing and all of yeah. that certainly required that. I, I agree. But, but I, I didn't think see the, any of that stuff legislated. Yeah, are we talking the about the Are we talking about the Redskins renaming? I missed the. Oh, well, we haven't gotten to that no. yet. That's no, we oh, we okay. haven't gotten to that. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and we're we just talking idly. We have to uh, break for uh, top of the hour uh, ID here, but uh, Bobby is back with us. There's still some glitches in the audio, and I apologize uh, to people for that. I'm not sure if it's a, a short in somebody's phone or if it's. Uh, a problem with the software here, but we'll press on as best we can after we take a short break. Part two of Armchair Politics will continue right after this short break with our roundtable regulars, uh, Henry Hatter and Paul uh, Rosicki. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 